tell you that all of this was working yesterday. I promise. Uh, but uh, yet again, I am reminded, God, please give us a building. Because uh, that would solve a lot of these little problems. So I, I, I got to tell you, I really... This this message series that we're in this 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 is us message series. Um, uh, I, I, you may not recognize this, but what's happening is a really from the from the ground up a shift in our focus and what we do as a church. Um, and and you were going to see that you are hopefully still going to see that today, begin to see that uh, a, a little more. It's, it's been happening for um, months since about the middle of last year. Um, maybe you've heard just some little things that we have said, little changes, and, and that all is coming out. Uh, all of that work is, is coming out right now in this series. And I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I guess, I guess the deal is, uh, I, well, it, it's just, it, it has the potential to make some huge changes um, for us as people and for us as a church. And so whenever that happens, I think um, Satan doesn't want that to happen, right? And and so I, we blame a lot of things on Satan, okay? But, <laughs> but when it worked yesterday and it didn't work today, I'm just going to say that's Satan. So... Um, does it feel, not just this morning, but does it feel to you in just everyday life and the things that are going on, does it, does it feel kind of like our world is just burning? And, and, it's, and it's hard to, like, um, it, it seems like, I've noticed this last week, there's a lot of things going on in our lives, and all of those little things that are going on in our lives blow up because everything else is, like, we don't have stability. We, we don't have stability in our, in our political system, right? I mean, you, you realize that for probably the first time in history, at 200 years or whatever it is, the sitting president has been disinvited to the inauguration. He's, he's not going to, to be there. That's unheard of um, in, in our democracy. And, and, and we're dealing with um, not just a not just a capital breach um, a, a week ago or a week and a half ago, however long that was, um, but we're dealing with fences up now around lots of capitals in lots of states across our country. Um, go on social media and everybody has an opinion of what all of those things mean and what it's leading up to. And if you're, um, if you're a Trumper, right, you, you, you have this idea that he's not done yet. Like you go on social media and you're like, every day it's like, well, tomorrow something big is going to happen. And Trump's got it all planned out and he knows exactly what's going to happen and he's got it all figured out. And then tomorrow comes and then nothing happens. But you go on social media and somebody goes, tomorrow Trump is like, big's going to happen. Something big's going to happen. And, and if you're a Biden supporter, um, you know, you're just like, oh, I just can't wait and all this stuff's going on and you just don't know and... Um, it, it, just, it just feels like everything in our world is 
on fire. And it, and it just, um, it just, that fire kind of sets everything else on fire. And, and so I, I realize that probably as the, as the pastor, a lot of you sitting here, maybe watching online, a lot of you, what you're thinking is like, I just wish that my preacher would, would talk about some of the things that are going on today and we'd really get into what's happening. And I, I look at some of my preacher friends around and they're interrupting their message series to, to talk about like things that are happening in and around our country today. And, and so I thought about that this week and I was like, okay, do, do, I, do I set this aside and address some of the stuff that's going on right now? Um, or, or, or do I continue with what I'd worked on last year for, for right now? And, and here's what I, I, I came to decide. When Jesus began his ministry, right? He was about 30 years old when he finally made himself public and he began to call disciples. And um, the, the story in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, where he, where he goes to the wedding and he turns the water into wine. Everybody knows that, that story. Somebody brought up the other day about my son-in-law coming on Halloween and dressed up as Jesus with the water into wine. We, we, we get that, right? And, and so Jesus was about 30 years old when that happened. And, and so about 90 years before Jesus started his ministry, his earthly ministry at 30, about 90 years before that, Rome had taken over the Middle East. So for all of Jesus' life, he lived under an occupying government. He lived under a government that didn't believe what he believed as a Jewish person, they didn't follow the same practices and, and things that he did that, that, that often were counter. The, the idea that the Jewish people followed just one God was completely crazy, it was totally insane to every other people group in, in the world at the time. And so Rome comes in and, and the Jewish people worship only one God. And they go, that's ridiculous. Like we've got hundreds of thousands of gods that we worship. And by the way, Caesar is a God. And, and so we worship him too. And so there was this, this complete disconnect between the Jewish people and the, and the Roman people. And, and we go, yeah, but look, they didn't have the same kind of stuff that we have to deal with today. Like, may, like maybe you think your taxes are high right now. Or, or maybe you're worried that they're going to be high in a couple months. They don't have to deal with the stuff we deal with. Well, for Jewish people... They, they kind of had taxes, but about 30% of, of what they brought in. 10% went to the nation of, of Israel. 10% um, went to the temple for temple upkeep. And then 10% was supposed to go to um, uh, social programs to help the needy and the lame and that kind of thing. And so Jews were supposed to give 30% of their income. And then you have the Roman government come in, and the Roman government required taxes of all of the people. And then you had some Jewish men um, who began to work for the Roman uh, occupation. They were traitors to the Jewish people, and they collected taxes for Rome. And, and those Jewish people had armed guards with them, that had Roman soldiers with them. And so when they would go to exact taxes for Rome, which the Jewish people hated because God's money going to this pagan king, they didn't like that. And so as a Jewish tax collector would go to collect, Jew, collect 
taxes for Rome from other Jews, they'd have an armed guard. And so they didn't just collect the tax that was due to Rome, they collected more than was due for Rome. And so it was into this um, incredible, like, political, hot, like Jesus starts his ministry at a period of time in the Jewish nation that was just crazy, just crazy. And think about this. Jesus gets arrested by the temple leaders, right? And he's brought to um, Pilate, Pontius Pilate. And, and then that's when he's crucified, right? Or he's getting ready to be crucified. And who do the people call for instead of Jesus to be released? You know, right, like Jesus' last-ditch effort, right? He's calling the governor to try and get uh, uh, out. And, and, and they go, Who, who's released? It's not Jesus, the innocent guy. It's Barabbas. And you know who Barabbas was? He was an insurrectionist. He was a Zionist. He was, a, today, be called a Zionist. He was, he was a zealot. This guy was a Jewish man who had set aside the laws of God in order to kill his own people and Roman people in an attempt to overthrow the Roman government and the Roman occupation. Barabbas believed, along with one of Jesus' own disciples, he believed that by killing Romans and trying to overthrow the Roman occupation, he was doing God's work. And so if they had Facebook and, and, and Twitter and Snapchat back then, um, Barabbas would have been on there taking pictures of bloody messes and he'd be talking about Bible scriptures and he'd be posting Old Testament stuff about what God was doing through him. And when it comes time to release either Jesus or Barabbas, the people call for Barabbas instead of Jesus. This was an incredibly difficult time in the nation of Israel. And yet when Jesus begins his ministry, he doesn't fight the political establishment he doesn't talk about overthrowing Rome and, 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 and the, Israel, uh, the nation of Israel regaining its independence. He doesn't deal with any of that political stuff. He simply comes, as we saw in Mark chapter 1, it, it, Mark starts out his gospel um, this way, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Mark says, when Jesus comes... This is the beginning of the gospel. It's not the beginning of the overthrow of Rome. It's not the establishment of Israel as the top nation in the world. It's simply the good news about Jesus the King. That's how he starts. And that's where we're going to start today. But before we do that, let's um, pray again, okay? God, thank you for um, just seeing us through and getting us to this point this morning where we can um, be here together and, and we can dig into your word and, and, and we can hopefully apply it to our lives today. And, and God, we recognize that there's lots of things going on in the world around us, lots of things that um, maybe aren't going the way we think they should go, that aren't going the way that we would like them to go. We're uncertain about the future. And yet Jesus came in a very similar time to what we're living through right now, that the nation in chaos and fighting, and they never knew what was going to happen. And yet it's into that moment that Jesus begins his, his ministry, and he doesn't deal with all the stuff that he could have dealt with. He focuses on the one thing that he came to do, as Mark says, the good news, the gospel that Jesus is the, the King, the promised Messiah. 
And so God, today, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on here this morning and, and, and in our country, would we, um, would we just kind of be able to sit back and engage in, in the same way that, that the disciples and the followers of Jesus in the very beginning would have as Jesus began to talk about this good news and what it was. And so help us to just to, um, just to sit into this and, um, and, to, and to hear. Um, and, and God, let this stuff sink in. In Jesus' name, amen. So I had a, a, a whole bunch of uh, stuff to put up on the screen today, and you're just going to have to pretend it's there, right? Because this is not working. Um, although, Pam, where's Pam at? Pam, there you go. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Pam. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the boxes of those little cards... Could you grab those? I want to make sure everybody gets one but the end of the message because we're going to talk about that and we can't see it on the screen, so it'd be good to have that visual. Um, yeah, that's fine. Just whenever. Whatever works. Yeah. So you know where they're at. Somebody will help you. Okay. Um, so do, do, we have, uh, do we have online audience or not? Yes? Okay, they're, they're there and they have audio and they're... Okay, welcome, uh, online folks. If you are online, or hey, if you are in person, you can go to reallifecc.us on your mobile device. You can scroll down to my message notes, click on um, that link, and all of the, not all of the notes, but most of the notes that we're going to be up on the screen, the scripture references and all of that stuff, uh, including the good stuff at the end, is going to be present on that um, page. So you can look there, uh, and that'll help keep you up up to date. So, so Mark says that he's going to write about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and what, that, what he's talking about is what every Jewish person who grew up, every Jewish male who grew up in that time period, they would have spent the first and formative years of their lives in the synagogue learning the Old Testament. All right, so um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, as well as the prophets. They would have learned the law and the prophets. They would have been very versed in Old Testament scripture. So when Mark says this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ or Jesus the Messiah, that word Messiah and Christ, remember we talked about this last week, they're the very same word in different languages, but they both mean the anointed one. And, and what that really means is the anointed king. Okay, so, um, so Mark is saying, look, this is the good news about Jesus who is God's anointed king. King, the Messiah. Every Jewish person knew exactly what Mark was talking about when he wrote that, when he said that, because the Jewish people had been waiting for a thousand years or more for this Messiah. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3.16, where God talks to Eve and Adam, right? And he's saying, this is what's going to happen now that you've sinned. You have this sinful nature, and you're separated now. I'm going to kick you out of the the garden, this place where my presence has dwelt. And and he says, look, uh, Eve, you're going to give birth to a child like you're going to have a child your ancestry way down the road and he is going to crush the head of the serpent but the serpent's going to bite his heel Um, that's the proto-evangelium I think that's a Greek word for that and it just means the first instance of the gospel so very first time, God has says to, to Adam and Eve in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, look, there's a promise of an individual who's coming who's going to be king, and he's going to defeat Satan. 
And then as God makes his covenants with Abraham and Isaac and and Jacob and then with um, David, with the nation of Israel, what does he say every time he makes one of those covenants? He says, from you, from your line, all the people in the world are going to be blessed. And so in every one of those covenants that we looked at last week, God is talking about this Messiah, this promised king, this one that's going to come from the line of David. He's going to be the perfect Israelite. He's going to be from Abraham, and he's going to restore all the covenants, and he's going to be king of God's people. So every Jewish person understood exactly what Mark was saying when he begins his gospel. Mark then, immediately verses after that, he ties what's going on now to the Old Testament. He goes back to Isaiah chapter 40, I think it is, and and he talks about the uh, voice calling in the desert to make uh, straight the paths of the Lord. So he's connecting right now in Jewish history to Isaiah and the promises of, of old. And then he talks about, in the next few verses in chapter 1 of Mark, he talks about um, John the Baptist. And he's, John the Baptist is the one who was to come, who's making straight the paths. And then he goes in to Jesus. And, and, and here's what it says in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. And, and what did he come into Galilee doing? Not screaming about the Romans. He came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So if we want to know what the gospel is, if we want to know what the good news is, we probably should pay attention to Jesus. In in 1 Corinthians 15.3, Paul said that this gospel, this message was of first importance. And in Romans 1.16, he says this, that the gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, if, if it's that important, then what is it? What is the gospel? If you look around today, you're going to find that there are really about seven prominent gospels outside of the one we're going to talk about today that are weaving their way through Christianity. So let me just give you a breakdown of these really quickly because I want you to be able to recognize them when they come. Recognize them when you see them or you hear them. Um, Because look, a lot of people are looking things up about uh, uh, Christ, about the return or whatever on YouTube or uh, uh, podcasts or whatever. And and that's great. Look, I, I shouldn't be the only voice speaking into your life spiritually. But I want you to be careful because there's a lot of things being said out there by a lot of people and they're not accurate. So... Um, here's what you do. You have, as a follower of Christ, just like I do, you have the Holy Spirit working in you. And so if you're listening to a podcast, you're watching a YouTube video, and something inside of you just kind of goes, just kind of jerks, it's like, ah. If you just get uncomfortable while you're listening to that, here's what's going on. The Holy Spirit is telling you to turn that crap off. Okay? (laughs) Did I get that point across clear enough? So I want you to be aware of some of these things. They're very pervasive in, in, in church and even some here at Real Life over the last um, few years. So the first, um, we'll call it a substitute or counterfeit gospel, is um, the prosperity gospel. And what the prosperity gospel says is this. If you follow Jesus, he'll give you everything you ever wanted. He'll give you health and wealth um, and, and, um, and he'll make you happy. And all you got to do is accept Jesus and you'll get all of the good things. And so um, we to talk about, look, if you accept Jesus, you get all the promises of God. And they'll go to, I think it's Corinthians somewhere. It says, um, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. And we go, yeah, that's awesome because we want that, right? Because I would really like, um, 
Look, the, the new F-150 has an option for a 357 horsepower engine in it. And I don't need that, but come on. Um, I'm following you, God. <laughs> like, shouldn't you give me that? Like, I pull the trailer every week at church, so... How about a little something, something there, okay? So the prosperity gospel promise you that you'll get all of this stuff if you just give your life to Jesus. The problem with that is it creates Christians who are entitled. Like, well, I come to church, I give money, I do whatever. God, you owe me, okay? The uh, second gospel is um, we'll call the social justice gospel. Uh, and that is the gospel of karma, right? Well, if you do good, good things will happen to you. And if you do the right things, God um, will bless you. So just be kind. Don't hurt anybody. Don't harm uh, anybody. Social, go- uh, social justice gospel is focused a lot on reconciliation, re- like racial reconciliation, but not in terms of uh, reconciling as Jesus, but in terms of um, uh, reparation kind of stuff. And, and so um, that's a prominent gospel today. And, and the, the downside to that is that when you follow the social justice um, gospel to its end, you get self-reliance and no truth. You can't talk about the truth in a social justice gospel because everybody's got a little different truth. And, and nobody is more right than anybody else. There's another kind of gospel um, we'll call the political gospel. And so if you vote right, if you vote the right way, and, and that's different for each person, um, but if you vote the right way, that will be a great kingdom. And so what that leads to is what we see today is a lot of political idolatry, um, and we make political gods out of people. And so if the guy at the top of our ticket says this or does this, we just do it. It's like we're just a blind idiot robots. And so um, we, we, we have to, this idea that if a political figure just says something, like go out and trash something, that we would just mindlessly go do it. And the political gospel, um, it, it ends in that kind of false idolatry in political figures. There's a charismatic gospel. And charismatic gospel usually just says, look, um, if, if, you, if you develop this specific gift, then you're saved and you're going to heaven. And if you don't have this specific gift, you're not getting in. And, and so the danger in that gospel is it leads to arrogant, um, kind of self-important Christians. We go, well, I have the gift. You don't have the gift. I'm getting in. You're not. And so it leads to that separation. There's a consumer gospel um, where like faith has to fit your schedule, has to meet your perceived needs. And so you get people go to church and go, well, um, they don't have all the kids programs that they want, or uh, the preacher didn't look the right way or say the right thing. And so um, we choose church and we choose our spirituality based on what we want and whether our needs are, are met or not. And that leads to impatient, selfish um, Christians who are just about what they want instead of what God wants to do in them. There's the gospel Americana, which is um, like the plan of salvation, forgiveness only. It's this easy believism. And, and so um, this actually is one that, that I'm guilty of um, perpetuating. And it basically just says, look, if you just decide to follow Jesus, then, then, then you're good. Like you're forgiven and, and God loves you and everything is going to be okay and, and life is going to be going to be great. But the downside to gospel Americana, easy believism, is it leads to passive Christians where following Jesus or being a disciple of Jesus is an optional thing and we don't have to do it to be a part of the kingdom. It's just like you get saved and then that's it. You move on. 
There's also a legalistic gospel, which is just focused on rituals and rules. Um, and, and they think if you follow the rules, if you follow the rituals that we have, you're going to be more like Jesus. And, and that leads to religion with no relationship. So here's what Bill Hole and um, Ben Sobel's uh, said in their book, The Discipleship Gospel. They said, the gospel you preach determines the disciples that you produce. And not just for me as, as a pastor, but for all of us as we share our faith, the way that we share our faith and the gospel that we share with people determines the disciples that that message makes. And in Galatians 1, 6-9, Paul talks a lot about this. And he basically says, look, if somebody comes, he says, even if an angel of God comes and preaches to you a gospel other than the gospel that you have heard from me, which has been handed down to the other disciples to me, may that person be cursed. Now, I think it's the only time in Scripture that you read a, 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 an apostle, uh, for sure, um, asking that a curse be put on somebody. And so Paul's saying, look, the gospel is that important, that we have to protect it. And if somebody comes and preaches a gospel that's not the true gospel, they should be cursed. That's pretty serious. So Mark says, this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus, the king. And then in verse 14, we read that Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God. And so we're going to start there. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus said, right, he's, Mark says that he's proclaiming the gospel of God. Here is his proclamation. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's from the um, English Standard Version. Okay, that's what Jesus said. Now let's just go to what is um, really clear. We get repent and believe the gospel. And if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, you're like, yeah, repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? I don't know. Mark says that Jesus was proclaiming the good news, and yet, do you, do you, did you catch the good news in that? Verse 15? Well, like, where's the good news? And we know we're supposed to repent, we're supposed to believe, but what are we supposed to repent to, and what are we supposed to believe in? Because I don't really see it in verse 15. It doesn't seem like it's there. Like, where is the gospel? And again, we're a little disadvantaged because we're not all Jews. We didn't grow up learning the Old Testament scriptures kind of inside and and out. But if you were here last week, you got a peek at the covenants of God and, and how Jesus comes and he fulfills each of those covenants and he restores the part that the people were supposed to, the commitments that the people were supposed to make to God. Jesus fulfills those commitments and so the covenants can all be fulfilled and we can move on to a new covenant. And so this is what they would have understood. Every Jewish person was waiting for the kingdom of God. When so, and so when Jesus comes and says the kingdom of God is here or the kingdom of God is at hand, the Jewish people understood that was the good news. And so the gospel, the good news, right? Gospel means good news. That's what the word means. The good news is that the kingdom has come. And if God's kingdom has come, what does that necessitate? The king has arrived. You can't have a kingdom without a king. 
You've got to have both of those things. And so Jewish people would have understood the king or the Messiah has come. And so the challenge was, Jesus was not the person that the Jewish people expected to be the king. They didn't expect it to come of Nazareth. They said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like that was the... That was a statement, and yet Jesus comes from, from Nazareth. He was born as a baby. The people didn't expect that. He was born in a manger. They didn't expect that. Nothing about Jesus' life met their expectations. And so the, the issue wasn't that the good news wasn't there, that Jesus wasn't there as the king. The issue was that they couldn't put those two together. The, the way that Jesus came was not how they expected, and they couldn't unify the two of them. And so we have this very first gospel declaration of Jesus, very first gospel declaration, the kingdom has come. And then he says, there's two appropriate responses, repent and believe. Now that the kingdom has come, your response is to repent and believe. And then in just a few verses later, in verse 17 of Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls the first disciples and he just says, follow me. We're going to see that uh, next in Mark chapter 8. So let's look at Mark 8 really quick. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Now this is important because the first time that Jesus is asking those people who have been with him, who have watched him perform miracles, who have heard him teach, who have got special teaching from, from Jesus. This is the first time he's asked them, who do you say that I am? And so some of them said John the Baptist, others said Elijah, and, and others said one of the prophets. Right? So they're saying, well, a lot of people say that you're everybody except the Messiah, the King. Look, go back to verse 14. Jesus says, the kingdom has come. The King is here. But nobody believes that, right? They think, they think there's somebody else, that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. There's somebody else. And so he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. Remember, Christ means Messiah. You are the Messiah. You are, he said, the anointed one of God, the king who was to come. Now, this is an important moment in the kingdom of God, again, because this is the moment where the disciples have personal belief. In Jesus. They had to come to a point where they said, We believe that this guy that we've been spending this time with is actually God's son, the king that was promised, the Messiah that's been promised for thousands of years. That would be a difficult jump, wouldn't it? Like, I guarantee you that if Jesus came right now and just walked among us, at least half Christians, like, we wouldn't believe it was him because he doesn't meet our expectations. So this was a huge moment, and, and, Jesus, and Peter, speaking for the group, says, you are the king, and this is the second gospel declaration. If there's a kingdom, there has to be a king. As soon as the disciples then have kind of resolutely come to this personal faith in Jesus, we believe that you are the king. Jesus begins to download information about his death and resurrection, right? So he says, okay, now that you believe that I'm the king, you need to know what's going to happen because it's, it's not going to make any sense to you. And so he goes down this list of things. He says, um, Mark 8, uh, 31 to 34, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the, chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. 
And he said this plainly. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. This is when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not uh, having in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus called the crowd to him with his disciples, and he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, I'm going to speed through some of this, okay? With this um, kind of second lesson from, from Jesus, right? Now that you believe that I'm the king, you need to know what's going to happen in part two or act two of, of my life. And so he says um, that I'm going to die, and then after three days, I'm going to, I'm going to rise again. Now, Jesus had just spent a long time getting the disciples to recognize that he was the king, and now he says the king is going to die. What happens to a kingdom when the king dies? No kingdom. You've got to have a king. This eternal kingdom, there's got to be a, a king. And so when Jesus says the king is going to die, they go, wait a minute. I thought God was going to establish the kingdom forever. That's what the promise was. God promises David that, that um, there'll be a, a king from your line on the throne of Israel forever. This is an eternal kingdom, and yet you're saying you're going to die. This doesn't, didn't make any sense. And then we have a restatement of the third gospel response where Jesus says, follow me. So Jesus' kingdom gospel is made up of four declarations. You can find these on the message notes page if you want to go back um, and look at them because they're not on screen. So here's the four declarations of Jesus' gospel, right? This is what Jesus has said his gospel was. Four declarations. There's a kingdom. There's a king. God has anointed Jesus as the king of his kingdom. Jesus dies. In this case, he's saying he's going to die, but the crucified king. And then the fourth declaration is that Jesus would rise from the dead three days later. Four declarations about Jesus' kingdom gospel. There's also three expected responses that Jesus has. Once you understand that there's a kingdom, that Jesus is the king, that he's going to die and that he's going to raise from the dead, be, uh, rose from the dead, then there's three responses that are appropriate to that. Repent, believe, and follow. Repent of your selfishness, of your sin, believe the gospel declaration that Jesus is the king, and then follow the king. Let's go back to the seven false gospels we talked about a minute ago. The main point of all of those gospels, if you look at what they really are directed to, the main point of all of those false gospels is me. Or maybe something outside of me, but certainly not Jesus. So um, if we uh, look at the consumer gospel, it's that about what I want, right? If the church offers what I want, then I'm okay as a consumer. I'll go there. Um, prosperity is about my happiness and me having the things that I want. Gospel Americana is about my salvation. I'll just believe, and then I'm saved, and I get to go to heaven, and I don't have to worry about anything anymore. But Jesus' kingdom gospel leads to disciples who look more like Jesus. So we understand these four declarations of the three responses. When you follow Jesus in that way, what do you do? You look more like Jesus. In the counterfeit gospels, the question we're left with is, what about me? What do I get? What's in following Jesus for me? Now look, you can go to a lot of churches. A lot of churches in, in, in our world have watered this down. 
And, and we've created, and I don't think it was on purpose, I think it just happened, and, and we could trace it back to a long time ago and kind of little subtle changes that were made. But what happens is we have people coming into our churches and we go, look, the end is coming, right? The end is near. Uh, Jesus is going to come back and you don't want to go spend your whole rest of eternity in hell. And so just accept Jesus and you'll be okay and you'll get to go to heaven and, and you'll get everything that you ever wanted. Well, what does that do? That makes, that makes God about like Jesus came to die for me. It's about me and it's about what I want. But in Jesus' kingdom gospel, the question is, am I looking more like Jesus? We follow his kingdom gospel. That's the question we get. And so look, the crucified king expects us to live a crucified life. He says in Mark 8, take up your cross daily and, and follow me. And the king who died for others asks his followers to die to self. And we look more like Jesus in that. So Jesus is laying this foundation that without the proper response, the declarations of Jesus' kingdom gospel are meaningless. So can we really say that we believe in Jesus if we take a mental assent to the declarations? Yes, I believe there's a God. I believe there's a kingdom. Um, and, you know, whatever, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. But if we, if we don't actually live like that is true. Can we make a mental ascent to faith without having it impact our lives? Believe, repent, follow. Repent means to change direction, change your mind about the way you're thinking. And, and Jesus said, follow me. And what did he do? He was crucified and he sacrificed himself for others. And so how do we get to this point? We make a mental ascent to, to God and, and yet we don't understand Jesus as a king. Now following Jesus has its, its benefit. When we deny ourselves, when we take up our cross, we follow Jesus, we're the recipients of promises just like the Old Testament people that God made covenants with receive those promises. And there are thousands of benefits, but let me just name a few of them. Um, we uh, understand the declarations. Jesus is the king of God's kingdom, that he died, that he rose again, and we believe, repent, and, and follow. We repent, believe, and follow. And, and here's what we get in that um, covenant relationship. We get forgiveness, and we get eternal life, and we get the Holy Spirit working and empowering us to live our lives like Jesus. We get adoption as God's children. We get a peace that passes understanding. We get justification. We get citizenship in heaven. We get an earthly family and home called the church. We get a renewed mind and a transformed life. And, and so here at Real Life, we say it this way. We get real life. Real life is just living your life on this planet as though what we believe is really true. And so we receive those gifts of God and they work through us because, right, we're sacrificing, we've died to self, we've crucified ourselves with Jesus, and, and so we're living for Him. And so this is our real life. And, and so um, you, you, you all got a card like this? Okay, on the, on the back of that card is our gospel definition. Okay, you're gonna start seeing this pop up all over the place. We're going to talk about it a lot. It's going to be everywhere. And, 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 and what I did is we, we've got um, a thousand of these cards out on, in, the, in the lobby. If you want to know what the gospel is, th this is our definition of the gospel. If you ever are sharing your faith with somebody, 
You can share your faith directly from this gospel, and I'll show you how um, to do that. If you want to talk to somebody about what does this church thing mean and what does the gospel mean, here's what it means. Jesus the King, he died in our place and he rose as our defender, inviting us into a relationship with a Father where we can live our real lives. And we can do that through the uh, Holy Spirit's power as we daily uh, surrender to Jesus' reign and wait for his return. That's the whole gospel. That's every, we can get to any place in the Bible from that gospel statement. And so somebody says, what, what's the gospel? What's this Jesus thing all about? Jesus is the king. He died in your place and he rose as your defender. And, and what does that get you? Well, it gets you an invite into a relationship with God, with, with, with God the Father. And that's what God wanted at the very beginning, right? We talked about that, that God wanted to have a relational partnership with his people. And so that's what Jesus offers. We get that relational partnership through Jesus. And once that relationship begins, then Jesus says the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside us and empowers us to do the things that Jesus asked us to do. To, to, to live a crucified life and to sacrifice self for the good of others. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. But he also empowers us to do this other thing, which is part of our gospel or our, our uh, uh, disciple definition. We're going to talk about that next week. But, but this is what happens. We, we do this. We get the Holy Spirit power as we daily surrender to Jesus' reign. Is Jesus your king? Yeah. Well, it should look like that. And we wait for his return. There's going to be a day when Jesus comes back and, and, uh, and it's all over, right? And so we want this to happen before that um, comes, to be a part of the gospel of Jesus. Now, um, this gospel definition is on our website. Okay, I've created a, a page, uh, reallifecc.us forward slash gospel. Or if you go to reallifecc.us and, and click on about me, the very first option is the gospel. And you click on that and it'll have a, a, a paragraph, or several paragraphs about the gospel, what it means and why it's important. And then you'll find this. And there will be uh, scripture references for every single line of this gospel. All comes right out of God's word and, and in most places about what Jesus is saying um, about the gospel. So you're going to start seeing this a lot. Again, it's on um, our, our, our website. The other thing that is um, really cool, and I don't know if I can um, pull it up for you, but I'm going to try here. Give me a second. Yes. Okay. On the website, um, if you go to the gospel page and you go down to the bottom, it says gospel downloads. You click on that. There's a whole page of desktop backgrounds like this um, for your PC or your Mac. And you can download those from that page and you can put them on your computer so that you will have them. There's also, if you scroll down to the bottom, there's also phone um, options. And so... Uh, on my phone, except I've got a whole bunch of texts and things from people this morning already. Okay, so uh, on my phone, I have the gospel definition um, on there. And so there's uh, phone things you can download and send them to your phone and you can put them on your uh, phone. And, and then you can get these gospel uh, uh, cards. Um, and again, great place to start if uh, someone asks you what they believe and, and we'll talk more about that as the, uh, as the year, year goes on. Um, 
This is what um, Jesus said his gospel was. That he's the king of God's kingdom. That he died and that three days later he rose again. Um, and by the way, if you want to know, like, oh, this all sounds kind of weird. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first five verses. This is Paul and he's talking about the gospel. And, and he says, I brought to you uh, these things that are of first importance. He says, this is the most important thing that you need to know as a follower of Jesus. That, that Jesus is the king, that he died, that he rose again. It was all according to the scriptures. It was all fulfillment of, of prophecy. And Paul says, this is, the, this is it. This is the gospel. In fact, Paul even says that this gospel he's presenting in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 5, he said, this gospel was given to me, and now I'm sharing it with you. And so this gospel is handed down, um, and yet we have lost it over the years. And so what we're trying to do is just reclaim this understanding of what the gospel means and how it plays a part in our lives and how we should follow it. That our response is to repent and believe and to follow Jesus, to look more like him every day. And, um, uh, and so this is going to help us do that. And we're going to see it filter into, into everything. Um, and, and so, I, I, I want to start, this has been a weird morning and I get that, but, but if you're here and, and, and you're reading through this card and you're like, you know what, I, I believe that stuff. And, and I'm at a point in my life where I, I, I'm, I'm ready to be a part of the kingdom of God. Like it says at the bottom, I'm ready to, to surrender, to daily surrender to Jesus' reign and as I wait for his return, then, um, then we want to know that. So if you're joining us online, you can um, click on the prayer request button and online church. Uh, you can go up to the website at the top and, and you can um, go to prayer requests there. If you're watching on Facebook, um, go to reallifecc.us and um, you can click on the I'm ready link and you can find some information there. If you're here in person, and you're ready to surrender um, to Jesus, go back to the Connection Hub at, at the end. I think Melody will be back there for a little bit. And so um, just go back there, talk to me after church, and we'll um, get, that, uh, get that taken care of. Um, I, I, I feel kind of bad because uh, it was just weird this morning. And I wanted you to be able to see a bunch of the things that I was talking about because seeing it helps to cement it in your head. And so I just pray that God would um, set that stuff in your heart and this gospel in your heart and my heart and that it would take hold of us and that we would, like we would memorize it, we would know it, we would know what it means to be a follower of, of Jesus and, and, and be able to share that with other people. And so God, as you called the first disciples to believe that the kingdom had come and that Jesus was the king that even though he died he rose again on the third day and and then the plan from the very beginning has been Jesus but really it's been about getting us to a place where, where you can be in relational partnership in person with your people so we see that played out through Scripture, and so help us just be a part of that, um, and help us use this gospel definition as a tool to not only look more like your son Jesus every day personally, but when we look like him, we're going to be sharing that with other people, and we're going to be making more and more disciples, and so help us to use this in, in, in that 
in that way, God. And any failures and weaknesses that I've had this morning in sharing this stuff, um, would you just fill that up? Your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so um, would you just like through your Spirit's power soak that into our hearts and our minds. And um, God, transform us and let us look more like your Son, um, your Son Jesus. And, and so do that this week, God, as we follow you in Jesus' name. A- amen. Listen, next week, Hopefully, everything will work, and, and we will be talking about the next step, uh, which is what our definition of a disciple is here at Real Life, and then what that looks like, how we can share more of this gospel message through that, uh, and I'm super excited to share that with you uh, next week. So, uh, go and, and be blessed, and, and look, live out the gospel. Make it a part of your life, and, and let other people see that, okay? All right, I love you, and I'll see you next Sunday.